And people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. And John answered them all, I baptize with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's lots of places through the Psalms and Prophets where you get reference to the wicked as chaff, and the Lord will destroy them. Of course, the unquenchable fire, Isaiah 66, the worm won't die, the fire won't be quenched. <clears throat> so with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Of course, the good news is, is a, it's a good thing to the repentant, to those who have peace with God and have been baptized. It's a bad thing to the unrepentant. So, uh, I'm going to do a little bit different. It'll take us a few minutes, but uh, I'm just going to have us read through the Sermon on the Mount so it's fresh in all of our minds. I know it'll take 15, 10, 15 minutes, but it'll be pretty easy. So, if we want to have a few volunteers... Maybe read a chapter, chapter 5, anybody? Go, chapter 6, chapter 7. Matthew? Yep. Okay, go ahead and start us out. This will be good because people listening to the recording, they can read along. Yep. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt and light of the earth. When a salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on the hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way that your light shot before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to, to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever is murdered shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, where is the throne of God, or by the earth? Where is the footstool, or by Jerusalem? For it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make your own hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat and give your cloak as well, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil, and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. 
But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put it on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold fast to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, what, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all the these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <clears throat> do not judge, or you, you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look to the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do, do not give dogs what is safe, sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may tra trample them under their feet 
and turn and turn and tear you and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be get, given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Would which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will, he, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in, in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what would what you, you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and, and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, to the for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. For small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only, only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Men, men will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from you, you words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat, beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Alright, so, um, <clears throat> so again, the, what we want to ask is, what is Jesus' main point? And uh, in saying the whole thing, so we want we want first of all to say there is a main point. It's not just a random collection of of ideas, and that um, also just on the front end before working through it, we want to say that it's um, if you're if you've been involved in dispensational circles, they'll say this doesn't apply to the Gentiles. This was something that applies to the Jews only for their plan of salvation. So. If you're not, if you haven't been exposed to that, then that's crazy. It sounds that's obvious, but those who are, we, we just on the front end say that there's no grounds for <clears throat> for uh, relegating it like that. So it's a very simple, straightforward uh, prophetic exhortation concerning the day of the Lord, and the 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 whole uh, message is unto. You know, all of the key phrases for the day of the Lord concerning the fire, concerning destruction, concerning life, concerning, you know, he says it directly at the end, you know, not everybody 
they'll be the, those who don't produce good fruit in keeping with repentance will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, uh, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it, it's a very, you know, realm-oriented, enter, will, future idea. Um, and many will say to me, on that day. So again, the, the kingdom of heaven is equated with that day, the day of the Lord, a point in the future. So again, the whole thing is oriented around how do we attain eternal life and escape the wrath of God. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? Right? And so everybody's going to interpret being thrown into the hell of fire, Gehenna of fire. They're going to interpret destruction. They're going to interpret the storm in which you're building, you know, these things, all these things are going to be commonly understood as uh, in light of the, the day of the Lord. Like with John the Baptist, you know, the gathering the wheat into the barn, burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, in this way, we have, as he, as he goes up and starts teaching, you have the Beatitudes. So this, again, is a very straightforward, blessed are those... And woe to those. They don't have, Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, we don't have the woe to those. You get that in Luke 6, though, the parallel version where you have the blessed and the woe. And in Luke 6, you don't have the, the qualification of in, in the Spirit. You just have blessed are the, rit, are the poor, woe to the rich. And it's picked up the same idea in James 2, right, where you get the oppression of the poor in your midst. Here, sit over here on the floor, poor man. But here, rich man, take the place of honor. And he says, don't you know that the poor are, are blessed with faith to, in, to inherit the kingdom of, of God? And so, <clears throat> so there's a common theme from the prophets that this age, the rich, continue to prosper. And the wicked continue to, to grow in wealth and you know, Psalm 73, they go without trouble, their bodies are healthy and such, but the poor go with struggles and difficulty and pain. And so he's just saying, look, in this age, the rich are blessed, but in the age to come, blessed are the poor. In this age, blessed are those who are happy and have an easy life. And in the age to come, they will mourn. But those who mourn in this age, they will be blessed in the age to come. And so he's just setting up a dichotomy between who is viewed as first in this age, and they will be last in the age to come, generally, not always, obviously. And then generally, who is last in this age, will be first in the age to come. And it's it has that prophetic feel of kind of Mount Ebal, you know, where you have the Guys on either side of the mountain, Deuteronomy, they're coming in, they're pronouncing the blessings, they're pronouncing the curses, so you have that kind of, Jesus is laying out two paths, you know, one path to life, eternal life, entering the kingdom, the other path, wide path towards destruction and being thrown into a lake of fire. Blessed, cursed, right? And so this is, all of these, you know, the, the Beatitudes can be interpreted however you want. You know, you can interpret that heavenly destiny, you can interpret that kingdom now, which does one way or the other, your prosperity life now or whatever. But this is why we have to approach it with a simple 
apocalyptic framework of two ages in the day of the Lord. That Jesus is talking about this age versus the age to come. And the day of the Lord is the end of the conversation. You you understand what I'm saying? Like, we're talking here. We just read for 15 minutes. And what is the end of all that? What's his point? The point is the day of the Lord on that day. How do you receive life and blessing from God? And of course, this is picked up throughout, you know, the uh, throughout the scriptures of, you know, in Him all the nations will be blessed. In Psalm seventy-two, and even concludes in Revelation, blessed are those who have the right to enter the city and take from the tree of life. Outside, cursed are the dogs, the sorcerers, those who intentionally uh, walk in unrighteousness. So, Jesus picks this up, lays the two out, and says the end is you receive the kingdom of heaven. And the age, which again is not heavenly destiny, it just it refers to, you know, the kingdom that, it's, it's like, uh, you know, Matthew 13. They will shine like the sun in my father's kingdom, right? It's heaven's kingdom. It's, it's the kingdom that has its origination and blessing by heaven. Matthew 25, he'll sit in heavenly glory upon his throne, right? So so, uh, so then he says, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets before you. So again, he's identifying with the prophetic tradition. That the prophetic tradition has always denounced Those who are great in this age, because becoming great in this age involves usually a lot of necessary mechanisms that make others less. You understand? (laughs) You me! You me! You you see that? So, um, anyway, so so then he, he picks up a couple strange little analogies where he says... Um, where he says he compares the salt and the light, right? So you get all kinds of interpretations about what salt and light means. It's most easily and most naturally flows that he's identifying with the prophetic tradition that the great in this age have always persecuted the less and that the less have always been the prophets, like what comes to mind? Hebrews 11. Right? All the great men of old, they go through the desert, la, 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 they get sawn in half, these things. This is how the prophets are treated. And so, if you are to, to uh, be counted with God, to be blessed in the age to come, count yourself like the prophets. And do like the prophets. You be light in the darkness of this age. You be salt in, in to, to preserve righteousness and to make distinction between righteousness and wickedness, right? So the issue of salt is more that you make it distinct. I guess you can interpret the preservation bit too, but it has that feel of you don't put your light, you don't call wickedness wickedness, you don't call blessed this, cursed that, you don't put that under a bushel, you don't, you don't waste the, the, the use of it. So it, it has the same uh, kind of tone as... Jeremiah 20, O Lord, you deceived me. I was deceived. You overpowered me and, and, uh, and prevailed. I, w- I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. 
Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm wary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, Perhaps he'll be deceived. Then we can prevail over him, take our revenge on him. But the Lord is, li- is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examined the righteous and probed the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. All right, so... This is, Jesus is simply identifying with the prophetic tradition that is called the righteous blessed and the wicked cursed, right? And he's saying, this has always been the way it is in this age, and if you're persecuted, for the same reason the prophets were persecuted, you will be blessed, okay? And don't be, don't, you know, waste your salt, don't waste the light and cover it up. But walk in righteousness, produce fruit and keep them with righteousness, so that men may see your deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? First Peter 2. And so, then after he kind of does an initial identification with the prophetic tradition, he starts to go in and line with the prophets and make a, a, a uh, exhortation upon the law. That there is a consistent unfaithfulness to the law and breaking the law and manipulation of the law, just like the prophet and the priest before who were greedy for gain and, and, uh, and did violence to the law. So he's, he's going to start working in saying, you're doing just the exact same thing that the prophets of old criticized uh, the, the shepherds of old for. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Nothing will disappear. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So to be called least in the kingdom of heaven is not a good thing. It, uh, uh, those who are called least in the kingdom of heaven, uh, those who are called last versus those who are called first get thrown outside with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you get the same uh, kind of feel in Matthew 23 where, you know, you get, uh, they call each other with names, father, teacher, they have the best place in the synagogue, they set themselves up like this, they exalt themselves, but they will be humbled, right? And uh, he says, you blind guides, what does he say? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, verse 23. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So he brings the same kind of analogy up with the plank and the sawdust later. But he's simply saying, look, you don't neglect the lesser things or the greater things. And those who, I haven't come to abolish it, I'm not criticizing your, your you, 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 clearly you've done the, the, the lesser things, I'm not criticizing you for that, 
He's going to start working through that. I'm criticizing you for the greater things of the law. And I, I'm not here to abolish the law, and it's true. You have to, to it, they're called to obedience to the lesser things of the law, too. You don't neglect those. But his main critique is on the greater things of the law. And his point is, is that if you don't deal with the greater things of the law, then you won't inherit eternal life. And so then he starts working through the greater things of the law. You've said, do not, you've heard, said, don't murder, right? And of course, that's one of the, the, the Ten Commandments. And so he's not saying a different commandment. He's just saying, what was the purpose of the commandment when it told you not to murder? What leads to murder? Anger leads to murder. So the point of the commandment was, don't be angry with your brother, right? So he's just getting at the heart of why the command was given, why, why the law was given. And again, the, the rejection in the greater aspect of the law results in disqualification and, and receiving the uh, Gehenna of fire, the hell of fire. So he does the same bit on adultery and divorce and oaths and, and, uh, and the eye for an eye and the loving your enemy. So again, all of these, it, we don't want to work through detail on them, but the question is, what is the greater picture, the framework within which he's saying these things? Is he giving new commands, or is he simply giving, like John the Baptist, a critique of how they are responding to God and the law um, in, in a perverted way? <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so chapter 6 you get into, then how do you practice your righteousness? And so again, you have a simple framework of those who practice their righteousness before men will receive their reward in this age. Those who practice their, righteous, their righteousness before God will receive their reward in the age to come. And, uh, and this makes a whole lot more sense of what, you know, receiving your reward in full versus you will be rewarded because a lot of times you'll kind of you'll get this if you practice before God then it'll be revealed before men and it's assumed to be in this age and we've gone back to square one of well you'll receive it in this age and then you've received your reward in full so we we have to put it within the two age idea a simple two age idea in which we want to live before God like the prophets of old not before men, for the pleasing of man. We want to walk in righteousness and purity of heart, because the pure will see God at his appearing. We want to be merciful. We want to love people, because we will receive mercy, and, and this kind of thing. And, and we will store up treasure for ourselves in, in heaven to be given to us when he descends from heaven at the day of the Lord. So, again, the, the prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven just has that simple, straightforward, crying out for God, O oh Lord, how long? How long before you rend the heavens, Isaiah 64, and, and come down, make your enemies a boiling pot, and these kinds of things. And so it's, it's the crying out for the day of the Lord and the day of vengeance upon the wicked. And between now and then, how do you live in anticipation of the day? You trust God day to day. You forgive your enemies, because if you don't forgive your enemies in this age, you won't be forgiven in the age to come. <clears throat> and you, the, the 
the Lord's Prayer, you get kind of, a lot of times you'll get commentary like, Our Father, like this is a new way of relating to the Lord. Because there's only two places in the Old Testament where you get a real direct Israel. is that God is our Father, you know, he's, he's the Father of Israel. And that's in Deuteronomy 32, which is the Song of Moses, and Isaiah 63. Right? And so, uh, the, the reason it's common in their day is because you read the Song of Moses on every Sabbath, and so you, you get a common culture of referring to God our Father. But particularly to this prayer is Isaiah 63, and so in light of the first, uh, you know, six verses of Isaiah 63 with the Messiah coming, you know, uh, uh, trampling the nations, the blood being on his, his garment, trodden the winepress of, of the day of vengeance alone, then you get the rest from verse 7 to the end. I will tell you the, of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds. Um, he says, uh, he said, verse 8, Surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their Savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy he redeemed them. He lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy fought against them. So you get like, you know, like in the, the parallel in Luke 11, you get the Lord's Prayer, and then immediately the asking for God and the bit on He's a generous Father, He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So even then, you get that pulled up. Recall the days of old, the days of Moses, where He brought Him through the sea with the shepherd of His flock. And where is He who sent His Holy Spirit among them? He sent His glorious arm of power to be of Moses' right hand, who divided the waters between them to gain for himself everlasting renown, who led them through the depths like a horse in the open country. They didn't stumble like cattle. Go down the plain. They were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make yourself for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne and your holy and glorious. So again, you get the hallowed be your name in heaven. Where are your zeal and your might, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our Father. Through, though Abraham doesn't know, or Israel acknowledges, O oh Lord, you, O oh Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O oh Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we don't re revere you? Right? So you don't lead us into temptation. But lead us through the desert day by day with the manna. You know, and so you get... Uh, it, the, the, the prayer is kind of patterned off of this Isaiah 63, how God led them through the desert and fed them day by day, and, and yet he hardened their heart and made them wander. And, but he's our Father, and he sits and he looks down from his glorious and holy and lofty throne, right? So you get all the elements. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. Your, we are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. So the ruling over the enemies of God is, you know, throughout the prophetic literature is indicative of the kingdom. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze, causes water to boil. Make your enemies know your, and know your name, etc. So, that you, you get all the symbolism that is brought back up in the, in the prayer. So let's go back to Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.
<clears throat> so then when you fast, you have the same bet. They receive their reward in full. You do what's secret. Your father will reward you. So then he starts to hit at the core of living for this age versus the age to come. And until you have a, a basic two-age kind of framework for what Jesus is saying, this becomes a bit of a strange little passage where you're storing up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And, and again, it's not the heavenly destiny thing, right? It's like, uh, like, uh, like N.T. Wright says, you know, the British, they drink ale. It's not quite so taboo as in the U.S. N.T. Wright says, if I have a beer in the refrigerator, I tell my, my friend, I, I have a beer stored for you in the refrigerator. That doesn't mean he goes over and crawls in to drink his beer in, in my refrigerator. Right? It just means the beer is stored for him in the fridge. Go get it and bring it over. Right? So God sits in this holy and lofty throne in heaven. So we walk in this age upon the earth and we store up treasure with him. That then when he rends the heavens and comes down, he gives us to the day of the Lord. Right? So don't live for this age, is what he's saying. But live for the age to come. And, and do that which will receive reward in, in the age to come. Where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, so this isn't a transition in thought. He's just saying, look, your eye is the extension of your heart. And where you set your, 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 your will and your heart. So where you set your attention then your heart will follow. And so if you set your attention on the things of this age, your heart will follow. You, you, you set your treasure, your, your, your investment, your resources, your time, you set it in this age, then your heart will follow. right? But if you set your eye and you set your, your, your intention on the age to come, then your heart will follow these things. But if the eye, because the eye is the, is the lamp of the body, the, 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 if you, it, it's, it's what makes things come alive on the inside. But if your eye is set on darkness in this age, how great is the darkness inside? But if your eye is set on the light in the age to come, how great will the light be inside? You, you see what I'm saying? So he's just giving a... a, a, a a fairly straightforward, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. So this, again, is a simple two-age, because mammon is the spirit of this age and greed. And God is, when his kingdom come and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, is the age to come, right? And so this section, the parallel to it, is Luke 16. And it's helpful just to turn over there to get a little bit more of a feel. <laughs> it's, it's a hardcore feel. It's like, it's real incisive and cutting, right? So Luke 16, leading up to this, this same parallel, Jesus tells a parable of a steward, a, a, a manager who is dishonest. Okay, so has this ever been confusing, this parable to anyone? So it's confusing because you don't interpret it with a simple two-age framework, okay? So here's how it goes, okay? Don't look at it. We'll, I'll just tell it to you, and then we can look at it, okay? You got a guy who's dishonest, okay? Again, you don't, you don't work with the details. You just take the broad idea, 
You got a guy who's dishonest, and he has a day of judgment accountability that's coming in which he's going to lose his job, right? So he's going between now and the point of judgment, and he's going, how can I make it so that I will have friends after I lose my job and face judgment? What do I do in this age? How do I deal with my resources so that I can love people so that I'll have friends afterwards, right? So he takes, he takes the people that he does business with, he cuts, their, he cuts their debts, you know, down, so that after he loses his job, he has friends with them, right? And Jesus says, the people of the world are more shrewd with the wealth of this age to love people, shrewd in a good way, shrewd meaning that you use your money for others, to care for people, not shrewd for yourself. People of the world are more shrewd with their resources and time to love their friends before the judgment than are the people of light. The people of light use their money, they're full of greed and such, for themselves. They don't use their money to love each other, but the people of the world love each other better than the people of light, right? So that's the basic gist of, of the parable. So then we pick up. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth in this age to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone at the day of the Lord, worldly wealth, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings in the age to come. Right? <clears throat> And then he says, whoever can be trusted with very little in this age can be trusted with much in the age to come. Whoever is dishonest with very little in this age will be dishonest with much in the age to come. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth this age, <clears throat> who will trust you with true riches in the age to come? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property in this age, who will give you property of your own in the age to come? No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men, what's great in this age, is detestable in God's sight, is least in the age to come. See what I'm saying? So this is what he's saying. You can't live for this age and set your heart on it, set your eye on it, live for it, and you also live for the age to come. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. Because if you set your eye on this age, your heart will follow and you will live for it. You see what I'm saying? You can't serve both God and mammon. And this is the great irony of inaugurationalism already not yet. This is set people's hearts on both ages. It doesn't tell them to give up your life in this age, crucify yourself every day, say, I'm, it's, it's not my own, I'm not living for, I'm, your will be done, Father. And, and give yourself to him, and give yourself to martyrdom, whether it happens or not, but you have the martyr spirit, Luke 14, so that you can gain your life in the age to come, right? But if you tell people that your life is already now, it's already now and not yet, it's like you can serve both God and money. You can live for this age and live for the age to come. You can live for life now, 
and life in the air. You can't do it. It doesn't, you, you can't. I, I'm not saying this like some theory. This is, it, it, I know it for myself. I've experienced it. Because you just get wrapped up, right? And whatever techno gadget or whatever this or whatever that or whatever controversy or whatever argument or whatever. It's all like wrapped up in all this now, here, now, right? We don't need more of here and now. We don't need more of what's going on with all this. We need to exhort one another in love and good deeds all the more as you see the day coming. We all, we all need to like push each other because we, we all have plenty of worry and cares of this life. We, got, we all got that coming down on our head continually. You know, like we don't need any more good principles about how to care for this life. We need more exhortation to say, brother, I, I know you're going through a difficult time now, but the Lord sees it, and the Lord will carry you through. The Lord will reward you for it in the age to come. And you just start praying for Him, prophesying, I'm going for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't need more of how to live for this life. We, more, we need more exhortation to say, brother, praise be to God that He's allowed us to endure persecution for His name's sake, to go through hardship as discipline as sons, so that we can become sons of God in the age to come, in the resurrection. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so, okay, so back to... Uh, Matthew 6. So then you get a real straightforward on this as you're work, working forward. Therefore, so we know that this is what he's saying about serving both God and mammon, that he's saying and uh, making a distinction between this life and the life to come, right? Because he says, therefore, don't worry about this life. Because that's what the spirit of mammon does. The cares of this life and all this stuff takes hold of your heart. Right? This is... I'll just read it to you. You guys probably know the passage. But, you know, you have all the difficulties. You know, we have this treasure in jars of clay and bodies of death. Right? We're hard-pressed, not crushed, perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. We carry around but. And, in our body, the death of Jesus, all this being, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Don't worry about this life. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, because what's seen is temporary. Temporary. But what is unseen, because what's unseen is eternal. Right? We fix our eyes, because our eyes are the lamp of the body, and if we fix our eyes and we fix our hearts on the age to come, then, then we, uh, we, 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 we fix our intention and our treasure on the age to come, then our heart will follow and come along, will be renewed day by day. It's where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? But if you fix your eyes on the things of this age, your name, your position, your money, your bigger house, your better this, your better that, you have a whatever, 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 right? Then your heart follows that, and when things don't work out, you don't get you don't get praised, you don't get published, you don't get this, you don't get that, you don't get the whatever dream you you wanted. Some your marriage isn't it's kind of messed up. Your your kids are whatever, right? Then your heart doesn't follow because your eyes aren't set on that, and you can continue to 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 uh, to to be renewed inwardly. But if your eyes are set on this, you inwardly, you, you outwardly waste away, and then inwardly you waste away. <clears throat> so he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, your body, what you'll wear. 
Is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about things. What worrying? You can't add a single hour to your life. Why do you worry about clothes? Look at Solomon. The, the, the lilies are better clothed than him. Oh, you a little face. Faith, verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans or the Gentiles run after all these things. Right? What's the, what's the point? Why do the pagans run after these things? They don't have any knowledge of God. Exactly. They don't know anything about the age to come. All they have is now. They don't have a resurrection of the dead. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, right? Like That's all they got. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then that's all we ought to do. Right? But our exhortation is, your Father knows you need them. He's going to take care of you. Don't set your eyes on the things of this life. Set your eyes on pleasing Him, living for the age to come. Right? Seek First, his kingdom, the age to come, and righteousness before him. And don't worry about this life, and all that will be given to you. Right? And so we know that this is the point, because the, the Gentiles, what do they seek first? What do the pagans seek first? They seek first all of this. Right? They seek first better education, better job, better money, better salary, better house, better all this. It's just... They seek first all this. This is what they seek for, right? But we seek first the kingdom and eternal life. And we seek first righteousness before him, so that on that day we're presented spotless without blame, so we can inherit eternal life. You see what I'm saying? So let's, let's flip over to Luke 12, just so you know I'm not, you know. I mean, I know it's, it's fairly simple and straightforward, but the parallels in Luke 12. So verse 22, <clears throat> the parallel is put in context to the, to the parable of the rich fool in, in Luke 12. So you have a fool who lives for this life, and he, he has plenty, but what does he want? He wants to get rich. First Timothy 6, those who want to get rich plunge themselves into many difficulties and hardships. and But tell those who are rich, command those who are rich to be generous with their wealth, to be rich in good deeds, so as to store up for themselves uh, uh, treasures for the coming ages. Right? That's that's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. So this is his point. Is you've got a parable of a rich man who goes on to become rich, building more barns, and, and then God says, You fool! And one night, his life is demanded from him, and it all turns out for naught. So this is how it is in this age. We, we build big, we get more, 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 and then, you know, at the day of the Lord, nobody cares about all your big buildings. Nobody cares about all your whatever this and that. It, it's, all that is for naught, and it's over, and God says, you fool, right? So this is his point, is then he comes in, therefore I tell you, verse 22, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, life's more about clothes, etc. He says, the lilies of the field, here today, tomorrow, thrown into the fire. So again, you get the today and tomorrow with the fire. How much more will he clothe you, little faith? Verse 29, and do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink or worry about it. So again, don't set yourself on this age or worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, 
For your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Right? This is the exact opposite of when you get the inauguration now, the kingdoms now. The exact opposite. Build up your possessions. Right? Gather more. Invest more to make more because that's how you become rich. If anybody knows anything, right? Anybody, rich dad, poor dad, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like how you increase the cash flow, like how does money work? How do you make money work? This is exactly opposite to everything about how you make money, okay? So trash that, that's spirit of mammon. Spirit of God is be rich and generous in good deeds and sell your possessions and give to the poor and, and, and love one another with worldly wealth and store up treasure in heaven, right? So it says, provide purses for yourselves. They'll not wear out. A treasure in heaven will not be exhausted, exhausted where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. Right? So the whole thing is set in context to... Be dressed and ready in anticipation for the coming of your master. Keep your wicks trimmed, right? So this is, this is the point in Matthew 25, right? You get the whole bit of Matthew 24, and then you get three parables of, of, uh, of sobriety, right? What are the three parables of sobriety? What's the exhortation of Matthew 24? The day of the Lord's coming. When will all this happen? Be the close of the age, right? As it was in the days of Noah, so will be the Son of the... Therefore, what? Keep watch. Be sober about it. And pray. Seek God. Live for the age to come. Because what? Let's tell a couple parables. You got a guy who has a manager for his household. One manager becomes not sober. He becomes drunk. He starts beating, his, beating the servants. You got another manager who's sober and feeds people in due season. Right? One gets cut, thrown with the hypocrites. Right? Then you got another parable. What do you have? You have two sets of... of of, of virgins who are waiting the bridegroom. One set keeps their lamps trimmed and burning. Why? Because they're in anticipation of that day. The other set lets their lamps go out. They become non-sober. They don't keep watch and pray. They don't keep their hearts set on the age to come. And what will happen when the bridegroom actually comes? The one he'll welcome in, the other he'll shut out and say, I don't know you. Right? Then he gives another one. you got workers. Some are diligent and sober with what their masters entrusted them to. The other sticks it in the ground. One is lazy and wicked, gets cast out. The other is welcomed into the kingdom. So it will be when the Son of Man, and he picks up the narrative, because, right, the angels come, he gathers from the four winds, then he tells some parables, and then you pick up the narrative. He sits on, his, his, on the heavenly throne, Jerusalem, gathers the nations, sends some into eternal punishment, other to eternal life. Right? So this is, it's a simple, straightforward, but we have so much. Right? We got so much media. We have so many ideas. We got all this going like this, you know. Like there's that, that uh, you guys seen that Pepsi commercial? I guess uh, about six months ago. And it's just like image after image. It's just like, when they're coming into the music. And it's just like all these images of indulgence and perversion and gratification. And it's just like, live for now. Like, and that's the end of the commercial. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just like that is what we get in perverse theology and the spirit of the age and all this, and it just makes us like, hey, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to live for the age to come. It's really, oh, so much oppression. So I'm always, you know, and it's like, well, 
That's because you're giving into it, and you have your heart set on this age. Crucify it, repent of it, cry out to God for mercy. Help me, O oh God. I want to live for you. I want to stand before you on that day. I want an inheritance that's eternal. I want it, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how you fight against it. And if you set your eye on it, it will happen that your heart will come alive in it. And all of a sudden, you'll look at all of this and the games and the ministries, the hierarchies and building, oh, la, 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 and everything that's great. And you go, yeah, I'm thinking maybe on that day, that's going to be like that. And I don't think I want to do that. I think I want to do loving my family, loving my neighbor, loving people around me, you know what I'm saying? Not, you know, manipulating my wife, as we all know in marriage, not just bearing with my kids as a product of that, not treating my friends like objects of ministry. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all know, like, I mean, it's, it's enough just to worry about today. You know what I'm saying? And to get along with today, to love the people around you, and to live for the age to come today. This is how we keep our hearts alive, and it's how we keep watching we stay alive in it. So, okay, so let's go back to Matthew 6. <clears throat> Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Okay, so now he's going to dig right in on the Pharisees. That now you're keeping the small things of the law. Okay, so this is the, you know, the parallel in Luke 16, right? I mean, Luke 18, right? Some who are confident of their own righteousness. And look down on everybody else, right? Do not judge. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get, right? So it's the same bit as the Matthew 23. You give a tenth of your deal, human time. You neglect the greater things of law. But you, 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 you're diligent with the lesser things of the law. You strain out a gnat, right? You're eating. You strain out the gnat, but you swallow a camel, right? And so this is it's the same bit of Jesus saying, you're going up to the temple to be found righteous before God to atone for your sins, yet you're sitting there judging, casting judgment on the other man and have no fear of the day of God. You think God's going to accept your sacrifice? He says, then there's a tax collector who everybody knows is going to get thrown into a lake of fire and he's crying out for mercy. Have mercy on me. Accept this thing on my behalf, God. You know I deserve judgment. Have mercy on me. That guy goes, goes home justified. So it's the same bit in Matthew 7 where you have, as, it's, as, it's, as you measure it against others, so it will be measured against you. As you sit there and say, this guy is going to inherit damnation so it will be measured to you. And he said, he goes into the hypocrite thing, the, 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 plank in, the speck in, in your brother's eye versus the plank in your own eye. And then he goes into asking, it will be given to, how do you live in this age? It's more, of the, it's, it's more of the trusting God and living for the age to come. And, and uh, your father is pleased to give you good gifts and sustain you in, in, in light of the things to come. And this is, so then he kind of sums up all of the teaching and indictment on you live according to the law, according to the lesser things of the law, and you pervert the law to exalt yourself in this age. 
right? But this is how you live according to the law, and you live according to the spirit of it, why God gave it, and you live according to God, before God, and for the age to come. And this is how you sum it up. You love one another. You, you use your worldly wealth to, to care for one another. You live day to day and, and focus in on now instead of the 10-year vision that then you step on everybody and you just beat everybody to get to the 10, 15-year vision, right? We, we, all, we know this game. That is insane. And so that's his point. You, you, you ask, you knock, you live day by day, and you set your heart on the age to come. And so in this way, you enter through the narrow gate versus the wide road that leads towards destruction because it always seems wise. It always seems awesome and put together. You know what I mean? It's always like, man, it's polished. That is sweet, you know? But that thing, it's usually, if it's polished and awesome, it is a wide road, generally. Not always, but generally, that's how I, I see it. It's polished, it's awesome, and I'm usually like, I don't know what's going on on the inside, but I know behind closed doors it's probably not. So that, that's my recommendation on that. So it leads to life, a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. So again, you're picking up the false prophets bit from Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34. And the false prophets in those, what do they do? Right, so let's read this. So, so in light of Jeremiah 22, and you have the kings and the oppression, they build their house on oppression, they grind the face of the poor. Woe to him who builds up his palace in unrighteousness, his upper rooms, Jeremiah 22:13, by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing. Okay, so you, you pick up that same bit in, in James 5. With the poor, right, you treat the poor in your meetings, you, you, you grind them down and you humiliate them in your meetings. And, and what are you? You are the rich. You're the ones who are you're dragging people into court. You're the ones who are, who are grinding on people to get a little more in this age. Yet the, 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 you've hoarded for yourself wealth in the last days in, in light of the slaughter to come. He, he says that the, the wages of your workers are crying out to me. Right? And, and this is the strange part. It's like, it always comes under a righteous veneer, right? It's always this, well, yeah, because the palace, man, this is the anointed one of God. This is, this is the plan of God, right? This is the king, right? Give yourself to the cause, like sacrifice, man. This is, and so it's always got a justified end. You, all, you justify yourself in the eyes of men, but it's not right. You're not treating your brother in such a way to... To, to recon, recompense him justly for his wages and his due. So I had a friend, I had a guy who lived in my house a number of years ago, and, and he lived, I have, a, I have a, a, a shop with an apartment over it behind the house that, that I rent out, and, you know, usually whoever's living there helps me keep up with all the cares of this life. And, and so he would, he would consistently underdo his work hours, Right? And he, he, like, I know he would work 20, 10 hours, 20 hours that week. But he would always put a few hours less because he's righteous. He wants to, you know, he wants a reward from me. I mean, he would never say anything. And finally, I had to take him aside. I said, bro, you can't do this. 
right? You're endangering me, and I want this thing to be square and, and righteous in the equation, you know? And so we have to, this is the point. I, I, I know, you know, the, the word uses us. There's, there's causes we want to give ourselves to, but we have to walk in such a way that we walk with justice and integrity before one another. Okay? Anyway, so the, the little side. Making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor, he says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar, decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well. Is, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Okay, so is this a little, right, Matthew 7? What happens right after the false prophet's bit? Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, on that day. But I will say, I don't know you, you evildoers, right? Workers of, of, of lawlessness. And so... Uh, but your eyes and your heart are set on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, on oppression and extortion. Right? So again, you get the eyes and the heart set then. So then, uh, uh, Jeremiah 23, the lying prophets. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and all his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched, the pastures and desert wither. Whether the prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly, both prophet and priest are godless. Even in the temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery. They will be banished into darkness. They will fall. I will bring disaster on them the year they're punished. Move on. So, uh, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves, right? So, Ezekiel 22, the, the prophets are, are like wolves, greedy for gain. Yeah, yeah, So, Ezekiel 22, there's a conspiracy of her princes within her, like a roaring lion, lion tearing its prey. They devour people like treasures and precious things and many make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath so that I am profane among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. So... And they say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery and oppress the poor, needy, and mistreat, mistreat the alien, denying them justice. Right? So you get the whitewashed tombs. Outward, you're, you're clean and beautiful. Inward, you're full of selfish ambition and greed. Right? And so it's all this identifying with the past and the wolves and the motivations of the heart and how you treat one another, right? So you get this picked up in Acts 20. So flip over to Acts 20. Paul uses the same reference from the prophets. So he says, so we'll just read through the whole thing. Acts 20, 22. I know compelled by the Spirit I'm going to Jerusalem. 
not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Right? I don't, I don't care if I die. This is you guys are worried for me, but I, 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 it's this is nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Right? I want to know Him in His death that I might attain to the resurrection. Now I know that none of you, none among you, I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Right? So again. I'm probably going to die, but I'm preaching in the kingdom. This doesn't matter. We'll see each other in the kingdom, right? Therefore, I declare to you that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For, and so you get the blood in reference to the day of the Lord is when, when you get the blood on the hands of men, the blood splackled, you know, Isaiah 63. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Right? This is the good uh, uh, manager. This is the one who feeds the flock in due season, warning them night and day, Acts 2, to flee the wrath to come, to flee this corrupt generation, right? <clears throat> now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So all this, again, is in light of the blood, purchased with His blood, giving you inheritance by, the, by the, the being sanctified, set apart by the blood. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Help the weak. Right? I didn't step forward. I didn't extort from you. I didn't oppress you. I didn't peddle the gospel to you. I worked and I labored to show you that... I, I don't have false motivation in this. I really am for living for the age to come. I, really, what I want out of you is you to be saved. That really is the bottom line of why I'm talking to you. You understand what I'm talking about? <clears throat> and so then you get the same First uh, Thessalonians. Paul really embodies you know, the heart of the true prophet where he says, Brothers, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden. We could have used our position to, to tax you, to, to live, but, but we, we established among you, and Paul was not against taking money from people, right? He, he just wanted to establish on the front end with the Philippian church, with the Macedonian church. He wants to establish on the front end the gospel. So then, later on, when everybody knows, we all know each other, okay? Then later on, I will receive support from you, 
so that I don't have to be a burden when I go to Corinth. And then I can preach the gospel for free with them because you know, we all know what we're in for here. But if I come into them and they don't know what we're in for and I use the situation and it bogs down into games of money, then we've lost the whole point of what we're doing here, right? And living for the age to come. So Paul was just diligent in the way he interacted and the way he related to people. He wasn't afraid to raise money or take money from people. He took money from the poorest church, the Macedonians. You see what I'm saying? He's not against that. He just wants to establish on the front end motivations so that we have a culture of love and self-sacrifice, purity of motive, so that we don't get into all the games that are going on. So then he goes on, you know, that you're, you're, he, he wants to, we're witnesses, so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blamelessly we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you of each, each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you to his kingdom and glory. So then you undergo persecution, he says, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, though not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or our crown, in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? So we know that the glory in the kingdom is talking about when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So this is his point. He's just trying to establish, what are we here for? We're here. I, I'm talking to you that you might be saved. That's the bottom line. If I have to go and want for it, if I don't get, it, get anything out, that's fine. If, I, if we help each other along and you have plenty, you know, 1 Corinthians 8, my goal is not to make one person suffer. My goal is that there be equality. You know, you have well, you have blessing now. Let's share it so that we can get along together and preach the gospel. So we can live for the age to come, provide for our needs, and move on. The problem is, is that when our hearts start getting set in this age, we start getting into delusions of comfort, delusions of self-grandeur, delusions of these things. Then all the games start playing, all the names start going back and forth, all the chairs start getting set up, and we build a platform. Platform? What the? I, what? Like, I understand it's common, but why? Why? So everybody can see us. I know, because it's a big room. You got to be able to see. I don't know. We got conducting me. I don't know. Why do we have to put a big, big chair on it? Why? Well, you know, so that we can distinguish who's leading me. Yeah, I'm, I see. I'm sure it is. That's exactly why. Right. Okay, so I don't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to mock, but we all know, we all know what's, what's going on. So, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, tree doesn't cut down, throw in the fire. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom, right? So he, he plugs right to the core of the thing that even if there's the marks of the prophet and the apostle, even if there's the marks of Elijah and such, and the outward show, yet the inward is wrong, God will say to you on that day, I never knew you. Right? It's not an apologetic against signs and waters. Obviously not. We want to press for the confirmation of the testimony of God. But this is what it this is the severity of the equation that if we come to God as self-righteousness, we come to God with our eyes set on this age, we come to God, God sees through it, and the games will be broken down on that day. That's all we're 
So then you have the wise and foolish builders. Again, whoever builds his life and sets himself for the age to come, he'll be like a, on that rock and the day of the Lord will not consume him. Those who set themselves for this age and build for this age, it will be torn down. It's just the way it is. And so it's just, that's how it's left. Right? It's just kind of like, those are two paths. Up to you. You know what I mean? I mean, that it's not resolved. It's not like this perfect sermon that has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. It's a driving home of one point. There's two paths. Blessing, cursing, life, death, fire, glory, right? This is, it's just like this, and there's two ways to build, and there's two, two ages to live for, and you do like this, and in the end, it will turn out one way or the other. So I exhort you, don't live like the world. Bottom line, right? And it's supposed to do the same thing as Luke 3. It's supposed to, to produce fear and trembling, and oh God, have mercy on me in light of the fire to come. Oh God, confessing your sins, being diligent, being watchful, being sober about the day of the Lord. And this is why we need each other. Because we wear on day in and day out and all the stuff of life. And we need one another to exhort each other as things are going along. And I find this is, I mean, this, this is the center, the hardest thing in life to do. Right? Because we all just end up sitting around cracking jokes about whatever... God, we just ask you, help us. We ask you, help us, God. We're just like every other man and woman who have come before us. We have the same desires. We have the same delusions. We have the same issues, God. We just cry out to you for mercy and for help according to the Holy Spirit, God. We want to love one another. We want to be real with one another. But, God, we want to exhort one another on to race towards that day, God, to live in diligence, to not presume upon you, nor set you aside, God, but to, to be found with your Son, to be crucified with Him, to be found in Him on that day, to have no spot or blame in our life, God. So we ask you for mercy and the Holy Spirit that you would help us in Jesus' name.